Thank you, worship team. What a great job leading us into the presence of the Lord today. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Is everybody happy this morning in Jesus? Amen. Got good reason to be, don't we? Got a good reason to be. Praise God. All right. Let's take our Bibles this morning. I'm ready to minister the Word if you're ready to receive it, if you're ready to hear it. And open with me today to the Gospel of Mark, the 8th chapter, if you would, the 8th chapter of Mark. For some time now, we've been preaching from the Gospel of Mark on the life of Jesus, the servant. Mark's Gospel gives, uh, reveals Jesus as the servant of God. Each Gospel has a little different, um, uh, little different illustration of the ministry of Jesus. But in the Gospel of Mark, He's portrayed as the servant of God. We've been preaching for um, a while now on the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark. We want to continue that this morning. I don't know of anything any more important that we could talk about today other than Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. So in Mark chapter number 8, I want to talk to you a little bit this morning on the thought of looking toward Calvary, looking toward the cross. Mark chapter number 8, I'm going to begin reading verse number 31. Read just a couple of verses, 31, 32, 33 this morning. Some familiar verses of Scripture. It says this, And Jesus began to teach them, speaking of His disciples, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And He spake, Jesus spake that saying openly and notice what happened. Peter took him and began to rebuke him. And when he had turned about and looked upon his disciples, speaking of the Lord, when Jesus turned about and looked upon his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men." Father, thank you today for the presence of the Lord, the anointing of the Holy Spirit this morning in this house. Upon your people, we thank you today, Lord, that as we approach your word, that, Lord, your word is powerful. It's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you today, Father, for the anointing of the Holy Spirit that you've placed upon us today to help us to minister the Word of God. I'm asking you to open every heart and open every ear to hear what the Spirit would say to the church today. Open our hearts to receive the seed of your Word, and we give you praise for it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. Ever since Jesus had begun His ministry, He'd been trying his best to reach the nation of Israel. He came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He made that declaration on uh, a number of occasions because Jesus was their Messiah. And he did everything that he could, everything that he possibly could to convince them of that truth that he was the Messiah. All of his miracles, his teachings the compassion that He showed, the power that He demonstrated, everything that Jesus did in His ministry were all clear evidence that Jesus Christ was the Messiah that was prophesied by the Old Testament prophets. Everything that was written of Him in the Old Testament that was prophesied by 
those Old Testament prophets, everything was fulfilled, everything that, that had been spoken of him had been fulfilled precisely to the letter. He fulfilled it all, but yet, in spite of all of that, Israel still refused to accept him as their Messiah. Jesus was rejected by the religious leaders of his day, as we might say, by the church of his day. He was rejected by the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Even those in his own hometown where he grew up, those who knew him from the time he was a child and all through his life at Nazareth, those, uh, those that were familiar with him rejected him. His own family, Jesus' siblings and his own family at, at one point in time even thought that he was a little bit eccentric, that he was a little bit off. They said that he was uh, just beside himself. And then eventually the entire nation of Israel would refuse him and reject him as well. And I think that, that it's all summed up in what the Apostle John said in, 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 in writing the Gospel of John. In John 1 and 11, he spoke of Jesus and said that he came to his own and his own received him not. And at this point in the Lord's ministry, um, we're getting into the three-year po point of his ministry and um, the popularity of the Lord had begun to diminish at this time. It seemed like that if you, when you read the Gospels, you'll find that the closer Jesus got to the cross, the less popular he became. And I think it's that way today as well. The more you talk about the cross and the closer you get to the cross... Um, the, more, the less popular you become with the world. Amen? And that's just the way that it is. But the popularity of the Lord had begun to diminish and he's about to enter into a very difficult season in his ministry, uh, an intense time of difficulty and opposition. And so Jesus is trying to teach his disciples about this. I mean, he's been ministering to them now for three years. He spent three years with these men, and they've been close to him. And he's been teaching them and uh, revealing and displaying his power to them and uh, revealing his identity to them. And, and these 12 men that were with him on a daily basis, I mean, they saw things that nobody else saw. They heard things that nobody else heard. They saw Jesus perform miracles. They saw saw him heal the sick. They saw him cast out demons. They, they witnessed him as he controlled the forces of nature, as he calmed storms and walked on water and multiplied bread to feed multitudes. They saw him raise the dead and cleanse lepers and cause the lame to walk again and open blind eyes and unstop deaf ears. They saw all of this, but yet they still couldn't quite grasp who Jesus was. But Peter, as we saw last week, Peter got the revelation, didn't he? Peter got the revelation, and he made the great confession. And uh, when Jesus had asked the question, Whom do men say that I am? And they said, You know, some say you're John the Baptist and Elijah, and one of the prophets, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? And Peter made the great confession and said, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed it to you, but that revelation came from my Father which is in heaven. So Peter gets the revelation and Jesus begins here now to teach them about his mission and he tries to get them to look forward to Calvary. He's got to prepare them for what's ahead because what was ahead in the next few months, they were not expecting and they were not prepared for. Are you listening to me this morning? So Jesus, first of all, begins to give them the mission, to reveal to them the mission that he's come to the earth to fulfill, the mission of the Messiah. It said there in verse 31 that Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, 
and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Now Jesus is giving them a prophetic word and he's, he's, he's talking to them about events that are going to take place in the very near future, just within the next few weeks or the next few months. And what Jesus said to them and what he reveals to them uh, took them by complete surprise. It totally caught them off guard because Jesus begins to teach them, it says, and he begins to prepare his disciples for the future events that are going to take place in his life and they were not ready to receive the truth. Now, are you with me? They were not ready to receive what Jesus was about to tell them and what he was about to reveal to them. And you know, it's kind of the same way with you and I today because our walk with the Lord, with Jesus, is a growing process. Nobody is born again and gets saved and is born again as a full grown, mature Christian. We're all born again as, as babes in Christ and there's a, a, uh, a perfecting, a sanctification process. There's a maturing, there's a spiritual growth that has to take place. It's sad that many Christians, many people get born again and never go beyond the babyhood stage in their walk with the Lord. They stay in that babyhood stage. Some are in the adolescent stage. Um, some make it all the way to spiritual adult and grow uh, up to, to, to where they need to be in the Lord. That's my prayer for everybody here at Abundant Life Family Church that you uh, will grow up to be the mature believer that the Lord intends for you to be. And so as we walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, as we fellowship with Him in prayer and the Word of God and coming to the house of God, sitting under the ministry of, of, a pa of pastors and evangelists and the fivefold ministry, as we do that, we mature spiritual, spiritually. And as you mature spiritually, as we grow in the things of God, then the Holy Spirit can reveal deeper truths to us from the Word of God and give us a deeper understanding of the Word of God. Can you agree with that? And that's exactly what was going on in the life of Jesus' disciples. So he begins to tell the disciples things that they previously um, uh, had not, were not aware of and that they previously were not ready quite to receive. And he says to them, the Son of Man, he begins to teach them. He said, the Son of Man, I must suffer. I'm going to have to suffer many things. I'm going to be rejected by the elders and by the chief priests and by the scribes. This he begins to tell to them. And, and here's the importance of this because for centuries, listen, for centuries Israel had looked for God to send them a deliverer. It was all through the Old Testament. And they, their, 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 their view of this deliverer, this Messiah that was going to come, they, their view and their anticipation was uh, that God was going to send them a great military leader who would go out and would defeat the enemies of Israel and this great leader was going to restore righteousness and was going to restore temple worship to its ancient glory and all of these things and Israel was going to be the premier nation. Rome was going to be put down and this Messiah was going to rule and reign from the throne in the temple of Israel and they were going into the, the golden age that was predicted by the prophets in the Old Testament and uh, that was prophesied and still is the will of God and still will be fulfilled. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah, God. God's not, I don't believe in replacement theology. God's not done with the nation of Israel. The plan that he had for that nation is still going to be fulfilled just as God has prophesied and declared that it would be. But Jesus came preaching and he came teaching and he came healing and calling men to repentance. But this was not, listen, this was not the Messiah that the Jews were expecting 
their Messiah to be. And so the religious leaders rejected Jesus. His disciples recognized that he was who he said that he was. They had the revelation. They recognized him as the Messiah. They believed that he was the Christ. He was the one that fulfilled all of the prophecies and all the promises of the Old Testament. So his disciples were fully expecting Jesus to do just what I said a moment ago. They were expecting him to overthrow Rome. The mighty power that he had to walk on water. The mighty power that he had to multiply loaves and fishes. To raise a man from the dead that had been dead four days. Nobody had ever been able to do that. And they were expecting him to take his mighty power and and just completely uh, uh, obliterate the Roman rule over them and they were going into that kingdom age right at that time. They were going to be delivered. Jesus was going to deliver Israel from her bondage. And and that's what they looked forward to. That was their hope. But what Jesus is getting ready to tell them here is going to shatter their golden dream to pieces. This news that he's getting ready to share with them right now is going to be news that's going to be devastating to all their notions. And and as he tells them what what, what they don't really want to hear because Jesus begins by talking about his rejection that he's going to be rejected he said that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected now we know from the scriptures we know from from what we have already studied from the gospel of Mark that Jesus faced a continual opposition by the religious leaders I mean they were on his case 24-7. They were on him all the time. But now he's predicting that there's going to be an increase in, this, in his suffering as he nears the end of his ministry. That there's going to be more rejection by these religious leaders. How many knows that that same rejection and that spirit still continues on until this day? There is still within the world system a rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? There's a rejection because, listen, Jesus Christ is the dividing line in the world and among the world today. He's the dividing line because when when you accept Jesus Christ and you make that proclamation that you believe, and here's, here's, you know, here's, here's the... Uh, the unpopular thing to say today, that Jesus Christ is the only Savior, that He is the only way to heaven, that He's the only way to be saved. I mean, you're going to run into some opposition. How many knows that? But nevertheless, that is the truth. And it doesn't make any difference what the world has to say about it today. Uh, It doesn't change the Bible. Jesus is still the only way, the only Savior, the only Redeemer. And when we make that statement and when we preach that, it flies in the face of a sinful world because the culture today, this world system that is controlled by demonic powers and demonic forces is in total opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in total opposition to this Bible. It's in total opposition to the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, living for Jesus in these last days is not going to be a Sunday school picnic as good as Sunday school picnics are. Amen? It's not. That's not going to be the case. You're going to have to understand that just as Jesus was trying to get this over to his disciples, the th- same thing goes for you and I. His body, his church in these last days, that we will be opposed, we will be ridiculed, we will be rejected, We will be despised, but I'm here to tell you today that we will not give in or give up or fold up because we are trusting in the Lord our God. Hallelujah. The closer we live to Jesus, the more intense the opposition by the world. And so Jesus speaks to them about his rejection, but then secondly, he spoke to them about his crucifixion. He said that the, that the Son of Man would be rejected by the elders and by the chief priests and, be, and the scribes and, notice he said, and be killed. Now they probably 
handled the teaching about rejection okay. But when he gets to this point, this is serious stuff here. He had been encountering opposition all the way through, but now he tells them that not only is the opposition going to increase, but now, that he, t- now he reveals to them that he's going to die. And I can imagine his disciples recoiling from this statement. It flew in the face of all of their plans, the very thing that they were trusting him to do and believing that he was going to do. Uh, I mean, you know, this, this just wipes it all out. They were not expecting him to die. They were not expecting death, but they were expecting a triumphant reign. They were expecting him to rule and reign from Jerusalem. And that what they believed was true, but the time frame just wasn't, 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 wasn't right at that particular time. Can I tell you that this, what Jesus reveals to his disciples here about his rejection, about his crucifixion, about his death, this was revealing to them and he was revealing to them the very purpose that brought Jesus to this earth. This was why he came. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. This may be just a simple little message this morning, but this is what we need to be reminded of today because the purpose of Jesus coming to this earth was not just to uh, set an example for you to follow, uh, uh, howbeit that we should follow his example, but the purpose of Jesus was not just to come and be a good teacher and lay down a few rules for you to abide by, but the purpose and the reason that Jesus Christ came to this earth was he came to die on a cross. He came to give his life and to die on a cross as the sacrifice for sin, as that atoning sacrifice. This was the plan of redemption that the Bible tells us was planned out by Almighty God, by the Godhead, was planned out before the foundations of the world. The Bible calls Jesus the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. The plan of God to redeem man by sending his son by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross wasn't something that God just thought up after man fell. It was a plan that God had, had arranged and, and had already put in place before man ever fell, before sin ever entered into the world. Before Adam ever sinned, God already had planned the remedy for that sin and it was Jesus coming and dying on Calvary. This teaching session that Jesus is giving to them probably took a little while because That word teach, when it says he began to teach them, it's a word that suggests an ongoing teaching. And I really believe that Jesus took some time to try to open their eyes to what was going to take place. I believe that he probably took them back to the Old Testament to reveal to them some some significance of the types and shadows of the Old Testament. Uh, somebody said, "Well, can you prove that from Scripture?" No, but I, you know, when he was, you know, when he was, when he was dealing with the two uh, on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection, it said that he, he remember they were all sad and everything because because Jesus had died and he had disguised himself. He was walking with them, and the Bible, you know, the Bible said that Jesus took them all through the prophets and through Moses and through the Psalms and and revealed to them from the Scripture all the things that were said about him. And I just kind of believe that that's what Jesus was doing here. I believe that he possibly took his disciples here in this teaching session. He took them through the significance of the Passover to let him know that just as that Passover lamb was slain to to deliver them from Egyptian bondage, he was the lamb of God. John already had that revelation that he was the lamb of God to be slain for the sins of the whole entire world. I believe he probably took them through the, the, the meaning and the significance of the day of atonement in the Old Testament, under the Old Testament law. He possibly taught them about all the Levitical sacrifices that were, that were laid out and that were made 
under the Old Testament, uh, under the Old Testament law, and how all of those sacrifices pointed ahead to his death, to him being the supreme sacrifice. He may have even took them to Psalm 22, because it was in Psalm 22 where David prophetically, uh, in that messianic psalm, where David prophetically uh, spoke about the crucifixion and talked about how his hands and his feet were pierced. And this was some 700 years or more before the Romans ever invented crucifixion, death by crucifixion. Possibly he took them through Isaiah chapter 53 uh, when when Isaiah saw the Lord crucified. Hallelujah! And how that he atoned for sin there in Isaiah chapter 53. I'm sure he took them through many of the Psalms and, and told them that he has got to fulfill these prophecies. It was a concept listen to me saints, this was a concept that no Jew had ever considered and no Jew could believe this at that time that their Messiah would come and be hung upon a cross because the the, the law had declared the law of Moses cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. They couldn't imagine their king their Messiah coming and dying at the hands of the Romans but oh little did they realize that yeah, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, but he was hanging on the tree to take your curse and to take my curse and to take your sin and to take your disease and to take your sickness and to put it away. Hallelujah. Who has believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? It was there that he paid it all at the cross of Calvary. Hallelujah. The Jews couldn't receive that. They couldn't accept that. And neither to this day can they. I got quiet. But that's the truth. But Jesus spoke of his death, but he also spoke of his resurrection. He said, not only would he be killed, but in three days... He said, I'm going to rise again. Now I'm telling you, he's going to die on the cross and he's telling them this, but he's also telling them that that was not going to be the end. Thank God that's not the end. But he was telling them in three days that he's going to rise again from the dead triumphantly. That he was going to conquer death. He was going to conquer hell and conquer the grave. Now, you know if they didn't understand the truth about him being killed, that they're definitely not going to get this. They're too stunned to hear the fact that he's dying to even comprehend the fact that he's going to raise from the dead. You you know, you say, well, didn't they believe that, that he was going to die and raise from the dead? They didn't even believe that he rose from the dead after he rose from the dead. Are you listening to me? I mean, he had to appear to them and show them, uh, you know, that he was, he even appeared to, he appeared to Thomas and said, when Thomas wouldn't believe, he said, put your fingers in the prints of the nails in my hand, thrust your hand in my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And he's trying to get them to understand this, but they're just not comprehending this at all. And so Jesus, you know, he said, this is something that must happen. It's not a maybe. I must suffer. I must be rejected. I must be killed. And praise God, I must raise again from the dead. See, it was all a part of the plan and the purpose of God for the Messiah. And can I tell you that what when he did all of that, he did those things. And he did it for you. And he did it for me. And I don't know about anybody else, but I'm glad he came and fulfilled the purpose and the mission that he came for. So he reveals the the mission, his mission to his apostles. But as soon as he reveals this mission to them, the next thing that happens is that the message of Jesus is rebuked by Peter. Peter had just, he was shining last week, wasn't he? Huh? Huh? He goes from shining and making an A plus and acing the quiz to flunking out. <laughs> Amen. 
But Peter, it said, took him and rebuked him. Now, 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 you know, he said, the Lord, no, this is not going to happen. Now, Jesus had just publicly proclaimed the gospel to the disciples. What Jesus had told them was the gospel message. And they were completely taken aback. They were dumbfounded. It goes against everything that they'd been taught. It, it, it goes about everything that they believed about their Messiah. So now, you know, he's, Jesus talking all this stuff. Somebody needs to do something. Somebody needs to speak up. Somebody needs to talk some sense into Jesus because Jesus is not talking. He's not saying things right. He's, he's talking about crazy stuff. Somebody needs to get a hold of Jesus and talk some sense into him. And you know what? Peter's just the man for the job. You know, the old fisherman, Peter, he's just the man. And Peter had, had listened about long enough. He had taken about enough of this, and he pulls Jesus aside, and he attempts to make a correction. And, uh, you know, he, he, he's, he begins, the Bible said, to rebuke Jesus. He, Jesus, you need to hush. You need to be careful about what you're saying. We know who you are. Lord, we know you're the Christ. Don't be talking about dying. Don't be talking about suffering and rejoicing. You should be talking about victory. You should be talking about triumph. See, here was the problem with Peter. And it's the same problem that so many people have today. It's the same problem in the world and it's a problem in, a, in the lives of a lot of people within the church. Because Peter, here listen, Peter did not want to embrace the cross. Boy, it's quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning. Peter did not want to embrace the cross. This is, and this problem's not exclusive to Peter alone because there are many today that seek a means of salvation and a means of victory in their life other than through the cross. There, that, listen, the cross, uh, when, when we talk about coming to the cross, coming to the cross, the cross represents death. And so many people don't want that death. They want to save their life and to have their own own life and their own way and then put Jesus a little bit on the side. But when you come to the cross, the cross is a total crucifixion and death to the old life, to the old way. Listen, you can't, li you can't just have Jesus on Sunday and your own will Monday through Saturday. When you come to the cross, your will and your way dies and you take upon yourself a new life and a new way through the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's so many today that don't want to embrace that. Isn't there another way, Pastor Rick? No, there is no other way. It's exclusive through the cross. There is no other means of salvation. The Bible said, Paul said it this way. Paul said it this way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, he said, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Paul said in that verse right there that the cross of Christ is the gospel. What I am doing today from this pulpit, whether you believe it or not, and whether it's making you happy or shout or not, I am preaching to you the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel of Jesus. The cross of Christ for the preaching, verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us who are saved, it is the power of God. Well, you see, that identifies us right there. See, to the world and to some in the, in the church, the message of the cross suggests weakness and it suggests failure. And you know, in many of the churches today, um, they want to to remove the crosses, that's the thing. Let, let me tell you something. You know, I, I know I'm not popular. I just, well, I just will go all out. Amen? We're not going here. We're not going to be, we're not going to be a contemporary church at Abundant Life Family Church. Boy, that calmed the hand claps down. What do you mean by that? We're not going to have laser light shows. And we're not going to have fog machines. And we're not going to turn the lights off and make it dark in here. We're not going to, we're not going to make this sanctuary look like a, 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 a uh, concert venue or a nightclub. Are you listening to me? 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But that's what the world is after today. Take the crosses, remove the crosses from the church and uh, don't, don't preach about the cross. Don't say anything about the blood of Jesus. Don't mention any of that. That's the rejection that we have today within the world, within the church world. Amen? But I'm gonna tell you, and, and many of them today are saying, don't, don't, you know, they've gotten rid of all the, the, the blood songs and the songs about the cross. And so many have have said there in, in uh, many in the word of faith movement have made the uh, the statement that the cross is the place of defeat. They say get away from the cross. Don't cling to the cross. They 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 uh, talk against the songs that talk about the cross. But I can tell you something today. I'm still clinging to that old rugged cross. I'll cling to the old rugged cross till my trophies at last. I love down, hallelujah. I'm gonna trade it one day for a crown. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. The cross was not a place, and is not a place of defeat or weakness, but it's a, it was a place of divine triumph of Jesus Christ over sin, over sickness, over Satan, over Everything that plagued man that was lost in the fall, Jesus got it back at Calvary. God accomplished something. Listen to me this morning. God accomplished something through the shedding of the blood of Jesus that man had not been able to achieve through the shedding of millions of gallons of animal blood throughout all of the Old Testament. The writer of Hebrews said that the blood of bulls and goats could no way take away, could, could not take away sin in any way whatsoever. But when Jesus gave his life and died on the cross, he forever paid for the paid the sin debt, paid for sin, and he provided a means of salvation. He provided a means of deliverance for all who will believe on him by faith. For all who will accept him and that sacrifice, all of your sins can be forgiven and washed away. But not only forgiven, but the bondage and the power of that sin broken off of your life. That sin will no longer control you or dominate. You do not listen to me, saints of God. I'm thankful for everybody here that's come to Calvary and been born again. But can I tell you something else? Hallelujah. The devil would have you to believe, have many of you to believe, that you still have to be controlled a little bit by sin. That the sin nature still has to control your life a little bit. But I want to give you some more good news today that when Jesus died on that cross and shed his blood, he paid the price that the power of sin can be broken off of your life and you do not have to serve sin anymore, anymore, anymore. It's all in the cross of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Amen. It's not a 10-step, 12-step program. Amen. Al-Anon will not deliver the alcoholic from the bondage of alcohol. Jesus does not have a 12-step program. Jesus has a one-step program. God's one-step program is what I'm telling you today. Jesus Christ and Him crucified and raised from the dead, He paid it all at Calvary. Oh, praise God. Amen. He crushed the head of the serpent. He defeated the devil. Forever. Now listen to me. When Jesus died on that cross, what did he what were the last words of Jesus? Before he John records it in John 19, before he bowed his head and gave up the ghost, Jesus said, I thirst, then they tried to give him some vinegar on a sponge. And Jesus said in John 19.30, it is finished. 
Now, there are those today that say, well, that doesn't mean that the plan of salvation was finished. That means that the old covenant was complete. Hogwash. When Jesus died on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. That means that that was not a cry saying he was finished or just the old covenant was finished. That was not a cry of a victim. That was a cry of a victor. He did, he, 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 when he said, it is finished, Jesus used a Greek word. Those three words together, it is finished, is one Greek word. And the Greek word that he used was the word that means to complete, to perfect, and to accomplish. That Greek word that Jesus used when he uttered that on the cross, it is finished. It was the same word that was used uh, in the Old Testament by a slave. When a slave was given a task to be completed or assignment was given to him to be completed, once that slave had finished that task and completed and accomplished it, he would come back to his master and he would give him that word, that Greek word, teleo, which means it is finished. He would say it's finished, it's accomplished. It was the same Greek word that was used in, 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 ancient, in, in the Greek language for an artist that was painting a picture. And he would, when he had painted everything and he'd put the final brush strokes on there and he knew that that was the masterpiece, that if he touched it with one more stroke of the brush, it could ruin it forever. But it was just the way it was supposed to be. The artist would step back and look at the painting and would say, Taleo, it is finished. It's perfect. It's done. It's over. It's the same word that the merchant would use when people would come in and buy stuff on credit and he would put that to their account. But when they came in then with the money to pay and they paid off that debt, that merchant would write that Greek word across their account and stamp it and say, it's paid in full. It's teleo. It's done. It's accomplished. It is finished. It's the same word that the priest would use when he examined the offerings before, when they were brought into the, uh, into the temple. And he would examine that offering, that lamb that gold and make sure that that lamb was spotless, there was no blemishes, that it was perfect, then he would utter that word, teleo, it is perfect, it is complete, it is accomplished. See, when Jesus died, he died to complete something. He died to perfect something. He completed the plan of salvation. He perfected the way to God. The veil of the temple, when he bowed his head and gave up the ghost and said it is finished. That veil of the temple that separated the holy place from the most holy place was ripped from the top to the bottom exposing the holy of holies saying that God no longer dwells in a temple made by hands but he's moved out now. The price has been paid that now God Almighty can live in the heart and life of every man, woman, boy and girl that will accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It is finished. It is finished. I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed, he said. But that's not the end. I'm also going to rise again. Woo! Can I tell you today that Jesus did not pay your sin debt in hell? Jesus was not, did not go to the flames of hell and pay your sin debt in those flames for three and a half days. Your, your sin debt was paid upon the cross of Calvary. One prominent, one prominent Bible teacher that if I called his name, you would know who it was, even made the statement and said that the blood of Jesus Christ didn't atone for sin on the cross, that your sin was paid for in hell. That is is blasphemy. Are you listening? That is heresy. Mark that man a heretic and don't send him any money. Your price of your redemption was paid for by the blood of Jesus on the cross when he died there for your sin to atone for the sins of the world. Woo! What about the resurrection? Is it important? Well, absolutely. The price was paid on the cross, but the resurrection proved 
that it was paid on the cross. Had there been, listen, when Jesus died and went into paradise, he didn't go down there as a victim. He didn't go down there tormented by demon spirits. He went into the paradise compartment of God for three days and three nights as a conqueror and as a victor. He knocked the gates off of that paradise compartment and took those, those, those captive souls that were there and led captivity captive and took them to glory at his resurrection. Amen? After Jesus' resurrection, there was many of those saints that were resurrected. Did you know that? Their graves, the graves were open. And many of those old saints went into the city of Jerusalem, the Bible said, and, and appeared to people in Jerusalem. Can you imagine sitting at the breakfast table and Grandpa walks in and say, Hey, how y'all doing? I gotta, I gotta move on. We gotta close. Praise God. Jesus revealed his mission. Peter rebuked his message. <laughs> Poor old Peter. And then what did Jesus do? Jesus gives a reprimand. To Peter. Jesus immediately rebuked Peter and he said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Ooh. Well, if I did that, I've, I've had people leave this church for a lot less than that. <laughs> Amen. Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. He was literally saying, get out of my face. Now listen, Jesus is not calling Peter the devil, but he was saying that what Peter was saying, in Peter trying to detour Jesus from the cross, by Peter saying to Jesus, don't talk about the cross, you're not going to die. This is not what you came for. The things that Peter was saying, was saying to Jesus, were, the words that he spoke were satanically inspired. He was speaking the words of Satan. And let me tell you something today, ladies and gentlemen, that anyone who opposes the work of the cross is doing the work of Satan. Any, anybody that gets this doctrine wrong about what took place at the cross, if you get this wrong, the whole foundation is wrong. And that's what I'm saying. We've got to watch out for teachers who do not have an understanding of what happened at the cross. Amen. Because if they teach that wrong, their whole gospel, their whole doctrine, their whole, their whole teaching is skewed. It's messed up. It's wrong. It's faulty. Because if if you get the foundation wrong, the whole building is shaky. How many of you contractors know what I'm talking about? And the foundation is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul said it, I came not with enticing words of wisdom, but he said, I came to preach to you the gospel, the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God to salvation. That is the foundation. He is the chief cornerstone of the church. Can I get an amen? Peter had just called Jesus the Christ. Talked about it last week. He had made a great faith declaration revealed to him by the Father. And one minute... One minute Peter's declaring deep spiritual truth. And the next moment, he's messed up. One minute he's making the greatest declaration he ever made in his life. The next minute he's faltering, he's failing, he's floundering, he's yielding to the enemy. Are, are you with me this morning? Y'all still here? You ain't went to sleep? Do you know we're all prone to be like Peter at some time? 
We're all prone to that failure. Because one moment, and I've seen it all my ministry in the lives of Christians, that one moment they're on the mountaintop. One minute they're living for Jesus. One day they're, 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 they're close to God, or say they are. They're walking in His will. They're walking in the Spirit. Their faith is strong. They're experiencing victory in their life. But then the next time you see them, they're, they're carnal and they're fleshly and they're failing and they're falling. How many knows what I'm talking about? See, it's important that we know where to keep our faith. As I said a while ago, you don't have to be defeated. You don't have to live a life of defeat. You can live that life of total victory. But we all get in that place at times, and all of us have, that we have our Peter moments. But listen, where we're, where we're, where we're up and we're victorious, but then we find some area in our life where we're faltering, where we're failing. Oh, listen to me, saints of God. You don't have to live a life today of sin and repent, sin and repent, sin and repent. You can come to a place in Jesus where you can be delivered and set free and live a victorious overcoming life for the Lord Jesus. If you'll know that truth, the truth will make you free. Woo, hallelujah. We've got to wake up, church. You may be in that place today. You may be experiencing those Peter moments and have failed the Lord and messed up. Maybe it was a big failure. Maybe it was a small failure. It doesn't matter. Maybe you're struggling with something today in your life, a sin or a habit that you want to get rid of, that you want to overcome, that God's been dealing with you about, saying you need to get rid of that in your life. And you know what it is. The Holy Spirit is dealing with you today. And one minute you think you've got victory over it, then the next minute you're like, Peter, you're confessing him as Lord one day, and the next day, the next day, Satan has come in and you've yielded to his temptations. And you've been like Paul in Romans chapter 7, where he said, the thing that I, that I wanted to do good, but evil was present with me, that thing that I wanted to do, I found that I couldn't do, but what I didn't want to do, that's the thing that I did. And he was struggling with that. He was struggling with that. But oh, pay, praise God, the Apostle Paul found the victory in Romans chapter 8 through the law of the Spirit of life has made me free from the law of sin and death. And there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm here to tell you that in the cross there's salvation and in the cross there's redemption and in the cross there's cleansing and in the cross there is victory over the world, the flesh and the devil. You don't have to live a life of sin and repent you can come to Jesus and He will pick you up. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He will set you on the right road and give you victory in your life. Amen. Praise God. Bow your heads with me this morning. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you. Focus our eyes upon the cross today. Focus our thoughts upon what you did at Calvary for your people, for the world. We love you this morning, Lord. Do a work, Holy Spirit, right now in every heart and in every life. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way. Oh, have your way in this house today. Minister to your people. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, to your work right now in every heart and life. While our heads are bowed this morning, our eyes are closed, I'm going to ask the question this morning. As you search your heart, as every one of us here, Search our heart this morning. Do you know for sure? Have you?